But here we are, we're still in our study of Mark. And so today, if, uh, if you'd like to follow along in your own Bibles, we are on Mark 14. Mark 14, uh, we are nearing the end of Mark, a couple more chapters, but Mark 14, starting in verse 26. So this is Mark 14, 26 to 52. That'll be the passage for today. And uh, this is the, uh, the scene where they end, they're ending the, um, the Last Supper, the Passover meal. We talked about that last week when uh, Jesus instituted communion. If you remember last week, we did take communion together around the Lord's table. And this is the end of that and then leading into Jesus' betrayal. And so what we're going to see today is how Jesus foretells Peter's denial, and then he denies the denial, right? Remember that? And then, um, of course, Jesus in his uh, prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, and then his actual betrayal by Judas. And our focus will be on just that, on Jesus in the Garden, and all that leads up to it, and that what happens just after that. You know, um, uh, it's a wonderful opportunity for me as a pastor to be able to officiate weddings. And uh, one of the, the most important things about a wedding ceremony no matter how it's done, are the vows. When you, when you make a vow to someone, it's like you're entering into a covenant, right? You make a vow to somebody and it's basically you saying, I promise, I promise to do whatever it is that you're saying. And we've all been to weddings and, and uh, we've seen that. And maybe you've been married and made those vows as well. And it's usually, it looks like, the, the bride and the groom where they will say one will say a vow to the other, and the other one says their vows. And sometimes the, um, the the couple is very nervous, and they ask me to do it, so I write the vows, and then I I say it for them, and they just repeat. It's easier if I just say it and they repeat it, right? Because sometimes they're very nervous. Sometimes they 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 can read it and write their own, which is wonderful because it's very personal. And oftentimes they can add a little humor, which I think is great—a great way to start a marriage. Uh, but um, it's really significant because what they're doing is they're saying we are committing to live our lives together for the rest of our lives and here is what I am promising you. Now, of course, the vows don't encompass everything they're promising, but it is supposed to be sort of a highlight of what they are uh, promising or vowing to to do for their partner. Okay, And, of course, we know traditionally there's these... Um, these words, these very common words that are used that they'll often say in a vow that I, I vow to love you, right, and cherish you forever for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, right, for richer or poorer. Oftentimes it's the poorer part, but that's okay. But what we're doing is we're, what are we saying when we're making a vow? We're saying no matter what, for the better or for worse, whether I'm, I'm sick or healthy, whether we have a lot of money and we're paying our bills or we're really struggling day to day just to keep our head above water, no matter what, I will still love you and be committed to you. Meaning that these circumstances, whatever the Lord brings our way, will not change my love and devotion for you. And so we're going to see in our passage today that the disciples are tested in the vows that they made. The vows that they made to their Master, the Lord Jesus, the One that they had been following. 
we will see what what they actually do. How do they make out? I mean, we kind of know how this goes, right? But we'll see how this plays out. But that's in essence what's happening here. You know, in Ecclesiastes 5, it says, it says, when you make a vow, when you vow a vow, do not delay in repaying it. Pay what you vow, is what it says, the beginning of Ecclesiastes 5. And what that really means is that if you're going to make a commitment, have all intention and purpose to keep that commitment, to keep those vows, to remain faithful in that covenant. And so the question is, are the disciples able to do that? Remember, they have been following Jesus as the Master for over three years. And they walked with Him many miles. They ate meals with Him. I'm sure they laughed and told jokes together and and they had their good times and they had their difficulties and Jesus would teach them through all of it. And here it now comes. It all comes to a head. Jesus predicts it. Peter, who we'll look at, denies it. Denies that he will turn and run from Jesus. And then Jesus goes to pray. In his last moments before being taken under arrest and led to the cross, Jesus spends his last moments in the garden praying. So I want to read that now. And this is Mark 14. It's 26 to 52. And as I read it and you follow along, and it'll be up on, on the screen for you as well, would you just be willing, even pray right now, that, um, that the Lord would reveal something, that the Holy Spirit would illuminate something special in this passage that you can take away from it. Perhaps it's something you've read before many times. But we don't want it to just become old because this is God's Word and it's alive and it's living and it's new to us every time we read it. So as we read through this familiar story and this familiar scene, just ask the Lord that He would reveal something through His Spirit to you that would stand out as we see the disciples' reaction to what Jesus says and then what Jesus does in the last few moments before his arrest and betrayal. So here is Mark 14, 26 to 52. Remember, this, this begins at the end of the Passover meal and then when they're leaving that upper room. So it says, when they had sung a hymn, okay, that's what they did at the end of the Passover meal. It's very uh, traditional. So they sung a hymn together and they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter said emphatically, If I must die with you, I will not deny you. They all said the same thing. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And so he took with him Peter and James and John. And he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. 
remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. And he came and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch just one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. And they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. So rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was even still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. So when he came, he went up to Jesus at once and said, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And they laid hands on him and they seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the Scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him. But he left the linen cloth, and he ran away naked. That's the scene. Jesus is with his most trusted comrades. He is with the disciples. The ones that he spent all this time with, the ones that he loved, he even called Peter James and John, his closest, and John the beloved, the one that he loved the most. And he called them, and what did he simply say? He said, watch. He said, watch. You remember our passage from last week? Jesus said the same thing. He said to them, watch. Do not fall into temptation. So he brings them to the garden after the final Passover meal. It's a place they had all been many times. They knew about it. They liked to gather there. It was kind of like a walled-in garden. And they went there and Jesus kind of left them and all the rest at the, at the gate and said, just watch and pray. And then he invited the three with him into the, into the garden. And he said, just watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. And it was difficult for them, wasn't it? Because Jesus was going to pray. See, even Jesus needed and wanted their help. He wanted them to be alert and not to fall into temptation. But it even says it was hard because their eyes were heavy. Did you ever try to stay awake when you were really tired and you just couldn't do it? Did you ever do that? I have this, this terrible thing, and 
where I, re- I fall asleep so easily driving. Any of you like that? Now you're all probably just like, I'm never going to get in the car with him. That's okay. And I have fallen asleep many times, and praise God, he has saved me. But you know, there's that, it's that awful feeling when you just can't stay awake and you're trying. And it happens to me when I'm driving, and I think it's just the feel and the sound of the car. And I remember even um, when our kids were young, sometimes we'd drive them around the block to try to get them to fall asleep. And I would be the one, right, falling asleep, and they're still wide awake. But it's so hard, and you're driving, and you're trying to stay awake, and what do you do when you open the windows, you get the cold air coming in, you blast the radio, you're chewing some gum, you're slapping yourself, and I, sometimes I think the people driving by are like, what is this guy doing, right? He looks crazy. But everything that you can do, and you're still falling asleep, it's the worst feeling. And here, the disciples, it says, man, they tried, but it says their eyes were heavy. Their eyes were heavy. They were trying to resist temptation. And that word temptation plays a lot into this scene, into this story, with Jesus and also His disciples. You see, there was a lot of temptation. There was a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of oppression going on in that garden for the disciples to remain committed to their vows, but also for the Lord Jesus. So we're going to see that unfold. You know, the disciples, they were confused. And they were upset at this moment. You remember I I had mentioned Judas when he he decided to betray Jesus, that his expectations weren't met. And so he bailed on Jesus because he just gave up and said, you know, this isn't worth it. Remember we talked about the value and the worth that he placed on it. And he said, well, at least maybe I can get some money out of it. And so he decided to betray Jesus And that actually takes place at the end of our passage. But the other disciples as well were confused. They were disillusioned and dismayed because because they were expecting a warrior Messiah. All along they were expecting Jesus to be the Messiah that the people of Israel had looked forward to. The one that would come and overthrow the Roman government, those that were oppressing the Jewish people. That He would come and actually sit on the throne at that moment with sword and shield that they would, 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 would tear down that oppressive government and, and Jesus would reign. And, and then even remember how the disciples were um, arguing with one another, hey, who's going to be greatest in this kingdom? Like, what job are you going to get? Yeah, I'm going to be right next to Jesus. Remember that? They argued. Because that's what they were expecting. A new government in this new kingdom. And they were going to be Jesus' right-hand men. And that's what they were looking for. But then Jesus began to reveal even clearer to them, no, I need to go away. Can you imagine what that would have sounded like to them? It was unthinkable. What do you mean, Jesus? We have made this vow to you. You vowed to us that you were going to usher in the kingdom and we were going to be right there with you. And we've been preaching it and now you're going to leave. And Peter even... um, says, Jesus, you, in the other passage, in another account of it, he says, where are you going? Because I need to go there too. See, for Peter, it was all about being with Jesus. But Jesus then even foretells that Peter will deny him. And you could just picture Peter, right? Just always being so uh, sometimes insolent and just sometimes so hot-headed, right? And, and so passionate, though. And Jesus says, no, you're, gonna, you're all going to leave. And Peter's like, no, not me. Like, yeah, the others, I could see that. But not me, right? Right, Jesus? And Jesus is like, you especially. 
When he says, before the rooster crows twice, it was kind of like a, an idiom. You know, it was like a saying, like, before dawn, before the sun even rises, you'll deny me three times. And Peter's like, yeah, even if I have to die with you, you know, I won't deny you. And they're all just like, yeah, yeah, me too, me too. And they were just like, no, this is impossible, Jesus. It's almost like he was throwing them a curveball, right? And they're like, well, I don't understand. And so they were even in a place when he said, watch and pray, they were probably confused. And, and they were probably even emotionally exhausted from figuring it out. And, and, and the scripture says that they were tired and their eyes were heavy. But Jesus says, can you just do this one more thing for me? Just watch and pray that you don't fall into temptation. Why? What did Jesus know? He knew that he was heading into a time of temptation, wasn't he? I mean, it doesn't say it, but we know who would have been there with Jesus when he was praying. Would not the enemy, Satan himself, been trying to tempt him once again? And so, Jesus was not living up to the disciples' expectations. But see, there's also this too, they were also afraid. Why? Because they knew when they were with Jesus, they were out of danger. They realized the danger they were in following this rebel, this revolutionary as the, the religious leaders saw him. And so they knew how dangerous it was to be apart from him because they were all out to get Jesus. They said, well, we're associated with him now. We've made a vow to him and so therefore we need to stick with him. He can't leave us because then we'll be in danger too, right? So they felt a measure of security with him. Especially for Peter, because just being with Jesus was the most important thing. He said, even if I have to die for you, I won't deny, I won't deny you. I'm not going to let you out of my sight. So, of course, Peter says, I'll never leave you. Wherever you go, I have to go. They realized they were vulnerable without Jesus. Can we just put ourselves in the disciples' shoes for a moment? What is it like when we're without the Lord Jesus? When we drift away from Him? Maybe when we're reading our, our scriptures a little less, we're praying less, we're spending less time in the fellowship of other believers and we start to feel distant. Is it God that's moving away or is it us that's fading from the fellowship? See, the beautiful thing is as believers, we're never separated from Him permanently. But when we sin, when we fall into disobedience, it's this temporary distance that we put between ourselves and God. That's what happens as believers. It's like in that marriage relationship when a husband and wife, when they make those vows, they go through difficult times. And they might have arguments and disagreements and there, there might be the occasional cold shoulder and there might be those ups and downs, of course. But they're still married, see? But like for the disciples, they came to this point where they were confused they were a bit disoriented. and They realized without Jesus, we're going to be vulnerable. We're going to be alone. There's a reason that we make vows in a marriage ceremony. It's to say, I need you. You say that to one another. That first, we need God. But God brings the two together. God says all the way back in Genesis, and the, and the, the man shall leave his father and mother cling to his wife, the two become one. Inseparable, see? So as believers, we are inseparable 
from our God. But yet when we are in disobedience to Him, when we fall asleep and give in to temptation, what happens is we break temporarily that fellowship with God. So whenever you get that sense like, I don't sense God is with me anymore. I'm not sensing that joy, that happiness. Why do you think that is? First thing is maybe look at some unrepentant sin in your own heart. And what are you doing in your relationship? Are you still seeking out the presence of God? Because that's what the the disciples feared. That they would be separated and not be in the presence of their Savior and their Master any longer. See, they deserted Jesus, we see. Jesus predicted it, and they did. They were confused. They didn't understand what was going to happen with the cross. But isn't it just like God? Just like the Lord Jesus. To give them a comfort. Because He said to them, He said, when I return, you will follow Me, and we will go to Galilee. Isn't that beautiful? Even in that time, it says right there in in, uh, verses 27 and 28, He quotes back from the Old Testament and says, I will strike the shepherd and the shepherd will be scattered. It was predicted back in the Old Testament that that's what happened. That the shepherd would be struck down. And of course then what happens when the shepherd is gone? The sheep scatter. So Jesus predicted it. But He said, after I am raised up. Then He's predicting the resurrection. They still didn't get it. But He says, after I'm raised up. Meaning this is temporary. So have no fear. Be on watch. Don't give in to temptation. After I'm raised up, I will go before you into Galilee. He's saying, we will continue our relationship. You will continue to follow me. Do you see that? But the disciples, they didn't understand. He said, I will not be gone for long. And this is not permanent. But this will happen. But Jesus comforts them with those words. And hopefully it was after the resurrection, that at Pentecost, you see, they got the power of the Holy Spirit that they would think back and said, yes, He said we would follow Him into Galilee. He said He would return and He did. And then it would all make sense. The resurrection makes all the difference. You know, um, from John's account of the end of the, 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 the Last Supper, and then moving into his betrayal, John says this, in, in, in 1334-35, this will sound familiar to you. Jesus says to His disciples before they end that Last Supper, He says, a new command I give to you. What does He say? That you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. We see just a glimpse that Jesus was saying to them, you need each other. You need each other, especially during the times of difficulty and trial and temptation because they are about to happen. Because He knew what would happen in just a few short hours. So He said, if you're going to remain diligent and obedient and not give in to temptation, you're going to need to stick with Me. Keep watch. Keep praying. But you need each other. Church, don't we need one another? We need encouragement. We need that wisdom. We hear each other's testimonies. Last week, we got the the great experience of experiencing uh, uh, Frank's baptism. We got to see that and we were encouraged. Yes, it's the new life we have in the Lord Jesus. 
Jesus says, I give you this new commandment because you're going to need one another. You are now the church. They were to care for one another, love each other, carry each other's burdens. But what happened to Jesus? Everyone deserted Him. He told them, you're going to need each other. He said, I need you. Would you just stay and watch? You can do it. Don't fall into temptation. And Jesus went off and He prayed by Himself. And He came back three times and they were sleeping. Jesus was deserted. Everybody left Him. He was alone and distressed. Church, we don't often think of it that way, do we? When He's in the garden and He's praying, elsewhere it says that He was dripping like sweating blood because of how intense the pressure was. How intense that oppression was of knowing what was about to happen, that he was going to take upon himself the sins of the whole world. And he was doing it alone. Everyone had deserted him. They were about to deny him. So we see later on in the passage when Judas came and betrayed him and they took him. What happened to the disciples? They all scattered. Just like he predicted. When the shepherd is struck down, the sheep scatter. And that's what happened. Their devotion faded quickly when it came time to take a stand. You know, Jesus taught His disciples, you want to be My disciple? You believe in Me. You are saved. Now you want to follow Me? It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. See, salvation for us is easy. It's a free gift for us. But discipleship is hard. Because that's where we vow a vow to Him. That's where we make that commitment that Jesus, we will stick with you for better or for worse. For richer or poorer in sickness or in health. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you deny yourself. You take up your cross and follow me. That's how you follow me. But Jesus comforts his disciples who are confused. But yet no one remains to comfort him except, of course, the Father. But even Jesus, think about this. The disciples were so fearful of being distant and separated from Jesus. Jesus sensed the same fear Himself in the garden that He would be separated from the Father because of sin. When that sin came upon Him, He needed to be temporarily separated from the Father because sin cannot enter into the presence of a holy and righteous God of the universe. Am I right? And so Jesus was also left alone and He feared it. And He was alone and afraid at night in the garden. That was our Lord Jesus. And what did He say? He says these amazing words. In verse 36, Abba, Father. You know what that means, Abba? Anybody have any idea what that means? Abba, Father? It's like a term of endearment. It's a very personal way, and this is so important we get this, church. It's a very personal way to address God. And of course, we owe God all reverence and devotion, but yet, Jesus shows us we can approach Him as Dad. We can say, Abba, Father. He is our Heavenly Father. We are His children. And so He does that in His moment of greatest distress, when He's all alone, he says, Father, I'm all alone here. 
It's that personal connection. He says, all things are possible for you. What a way to start a prayer in that moment. God, you can do anything. Do you start your prayers that way? God, with all, all, all things are possible with you. And then he says, remove this cup from me. Let that cup of judgment pass. Remember last week we talked about how that cup, that second cup in the Seder meal, the traditional Passover meal, was the traditional cup of judgment. Because God is a righteous judge and sin must be judged. And Jesus knew this cup of judgment was upon Him. And He said, Father, all things are possible with You, Heavenly Dad. And He said, let this cup pass from Me. Can you do that? I know you can. Will you do that? But yet not what I will, but what You will. How amazing is that? And Jesus then admits, Your will is better and best. Let your will be done. Even though I am in this great distress, he is saying, God, this is what I desire. Let this cup pass from me. I don't want this judgment upon me, but yet your will be done. You see, Gethsemane was a garden, but Gethsemane, the word, means a place of pressing. It's where they would press olives to get the olive oil, to get the oil out. It was a place of pressing. Coincidence? Of course not. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is being pressed down from every side. He has been deserted by His most most faithful followers. And in a few hours, His Father is going to desert Him because He is taking upon Himself the sin for you and for me. He was in a place of pressing. But you know, there's also this interesting contrast we don't want to miss between the two gardens that we see. In the Garden of Eden, there was the first man, Adam, and he fell by yielding to temptation and disobeying God, didn't he? And that was in the Garden of Eden, the first garden, that Adam fell by yielding to temptation. But then we see in this garden, the second Adam, he is called. The second man who resists temptation by yielding to the will of God. See the difference there? The stark contrast in the first garden, the first man, Adam, he fell because he gave in to temptation and was disobedient. But in this garden, the second Adam, Jesus is called. He resists the temptation. And he is obedient because it's not his will like Adam. It's the Father's will. Isn't that amazing? And that's what we see Jesus does for us. The garden was a place of suffering. It was where Jesus experienced great distress. This place of pressing. Where Jesus endured intense sorrow where he encountered a deep, deep loneliness. He wanted his closest disciples to be with him, to watch that they wouldn't fall into temptation. They were those that had been with him since the beginning, those that he made a vow to and they made a vow to him to be his followers and disciples. They were those who saw the miracles and they saw him transfigured on the mountain. 
But that garden was also a place of strength. It was a place of strength because after those three times that Jesus went to pray, He then tells His disciples, you're sleeping again? Never mind. The time has come. The time has come for the betrayer. And He says, see, the betrayer is at hand. He saw Judas leading the mob, coming to betray Him with a kiss. And Jesus said, it is time. From that point on, what do we see Jesus do? Fighting it all along the way? No, we see He is a sheep like led to the slaughter, one who did not make a sound, did not give a defense when he was with Pilate because he had been given, I believe, that peace from the Father. After he went into a time of intense prayer, what did he say? Please let the cup pass from me, but not my will, your will. He seemed to have developed a peace could have only come from God because then he said, well, it is time. He surrendered Himself to the Father's will so that His will would be done. So that garden was a place of suffering, but also a place of strength. He said, Abba, Father. It was a sign of surrender. It was a sign of surrender. Do you know, church, that's how we gain our strength in the Lord? It's not by fighting and trying harder. It's by surrendering. It's by giving up our will and submitting to His will. And that is where we gain our strength to be obedient, to fight temptation, is to surrender to Him. Do you remember what happened when the Apostle Paul pleaded for the risen Savior Jesus to take the thorn from His side? Three times He asked. Jesus went to pray in the garden three times. Peter denied him three times. Paul asked three times. Jesus removed this thorn. Why? Paul just wanted to be an even greater evangelist for him. A greater representative. And what did Jesus say? My grace is sufficient. Jesus was saying, I'm going to let you have this thorn in your side. In my will, it's going to be good for you. Does he not say that to us as well? Church, that We may be going through a trial. We may have a thorn in our side. We probably have multiple thorns. Those thorns we just can't seem to get away from. Do you ever get stuck on a on a rose bush and you kind of get one out and well, I'm stuck to another one. (laughs) And Paul was like that. And Jesus said, Let my grace be sufficient. So what does this mean for us? There are many people in our lives. Perhaps some of us here now that are lonely, afraid, distressed, worried, needing the comfort that only Christ can give, needing to be in the presence of their Creator through reading His Word and through praying. See, the disciples, they faltered, they failed, they gave in a temptation. Don't we do that also? There are times when we are obedient and we're strong in our faith and there are other times when we give in to those temptations. But I guarantee you, the closer we draw to the Lord Jesus, the more we learn about Him from reading our Word, the more time we spend in devoted prayer and meditation in His presence, like He did in the garden, the less that we will be tempted to give in to sin. The less that we will be tempted to give in to that temptation. 
like Peter, our perceived strength that we think we may have will fade when we are not depending on the Lord. And I say that again, just like the Apostle Peter. The strength we think we might have, but based on our own, our own strength, our own will, that will fade very quickly in the face of temptation. Because it's not based on the strength we get from Him and Him alone. We can cry out, Abba, Father. See, apart from Jesus, Peter and the disciples, they were weak. So we need to find our comfort and strength in Him. And many people around us are lonely and afraid. They need to know Jesus too. That they can approach God as well. But also when we face trials, do we pray like Jesus did? Do we pray fervently? Do we pray often? He went back and prayed three times. He was fighting temptation all the way. And he said, God, Father, Abba, would you let this temptation pass from me? Pray that, church. God, remove this difficulty, this trial, this thorn from my side. But not my will, your will be done. That's where we find our greatest strength. How is our devotion to our Master? Have we made those vows as a disciple to be committed to Him for better or for worse? There will be times when we will enter our Garden of Gethsemane. Times of distress, sorrow, and yes, deep loneliness. But such times can also be a great comfort and strength. Why? Because we have the opportunity to pray to our Father. We have the opportunity to be willing to accept the Father's will in our lives. May I leave you with this, this great passage of Scripture? Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do you look at that with me? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then here's the promise, church. If you do that, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See that? That's the Apostle Paul. He learned it well, didn't he? And he said, You don't have to be anxious, you don't have to fear. Because we can pray. That's what Jesus did. He went to the garden to pray. In His last moments, He went to pray. He was left all alone, deserted by the ones that He loved. Did you ever feel that way? Left alone, deserted. And Jesus had the Father and He prayed. We can do the same thing. Paul tells us in that great verse, he says, pray. Pray with thanksgiving in your heart, knowing what God has already done for you. Pray. Let, let it be known to Abba, Father, what you need. He said, if you do that with all thanksgiving, God's going to give you a peace. A peace that only He can give. A peace that surpasses understanding. You won't even be able to explain it to people. And that peace will guard your heart. And it will guard your mind. And it will all be in Christ Jesus. What a promise. So let's remember what Jesus did in that garden. We don't want to be like the disciples then in the garden. We want to be like the disciples after the resurrection at Pentecost because they saw the whole picture. Don't we have that great benefit of knowing that the Savior is risen 
And He will return for us one day. See, He's the one that silences all fears. He is the one that might not calm the storms, but He's with us and gives us a peace during the storms. Is that not true? Amazing. Let me pray for us. Father, how awesome You are. How awesome You are that You give us this perfect picture of how to face our own trials and sufferings and difficulties even when we might be abandoned by those we love most. And those we count on, we know we can come to You. So God, we even say during a time of trial, even right now, we might be during that. We might be experiencing that. Would You allow that cup to pass from us, but yet ultimately not our will, but Your will be done. Help us, Lord, to, to keep watch. To stay awake. We know You will return. Until then... May we stay close to You, intimate with You, relying upon You, because we know without You, we will be lost. We will be afraid. We will be all alone. But with You, there is no danger. With You, there is peace in the midst of the storm. We thank You, Father God. Would You help us? Would You lead us to even approach You like that? To say, Abba, Father, help us lead us, guide us. Give us that peace that passes all understanding that we may not fear or be anxious or depressed or distressed. That You would wash over us with Your peace. Guard our mind. Guard our heart. In Jesus' name, Amen.